Good morning once again. Thanks, Sue. And thank you, worship team. That's great. Wow. All for Jesus, I surrender. But, uh, those are quite some, quite some words, quite some powerful words. And I know you must be concerned if the preacher is bringing up his lunch. Um, it's always a classic preacher joke, right? I'm going to go super long, and you have to stay. No, th- th- this, isn't for, uh, this isn't for my lunch, but this is actually to illustrate something. Because, as I said earlier, we are finishing up our sermon series on The Little Can Do a Lot here at Village Green, where we've been examining the importance of the little ones, of babies, of children, of youth, um, in our families, our society, in our church, and in the kingdom of God. And um, as I was thinking about the Horn of Africa and uh, the starving children there and the families in need and in crisis, um, and as I was thinking about uh, speaking this week, um, I was drawn to the parable of the feeding of the 5,000. It was actually over 5,000 that Jesus fed with one small lunch. The Bible says it was five loaves of bread and, uh, and two fish. And if it was a modern-day parable, I, I packed myself a little lunch. Um, a sandwich, maybe, of course, that's a staple in, in, in lunches. Um, an apple, which my son Gabriel found this morning and took a bite out of. Um, maybe a little snack, some raisins, of course, a juice box, and... Uh, a granola bar, right? That might be a typical lunch. I don't know. Maybe it was for you. Maybe it wasn't. But to think, um, if it's equivalent, if we can, a modern day parable, and we were to think of this small lunch that fed over 5,000 people that day, um, that that fed a multitude. And as I said, you think of what's happening in Africa, and you think, you know, God, would you just please do it again, right? There's, there's people that need to eat. And um, as I was thinking about the reality of this parable and speaking and, and finishing up our conclusion on the little can do a lot, I was, I was amazed to just be reminded of, of a simple fact that that one small little lunch that Jesus used belonged to, the Bible says, a young boy. And it taught us all a lesson on faith, that in the hands of God, a little can do a lot. And sometimes we might think, we only have a little. If you put it into the hands of God, it can accomplish much in his kingdom. I only have a few dollars. Things are really tight. I don't know how much I could be able to give. Well, give a little. Well, my time, I'm just so busy. I don't know if I could volunteer and and help out in some areas. I I only have maybe an hour a week I could spare. If that, give an hour. Because in the kingdom of God, a little can do a lot. That's what this story, probably one of the most famous stories from the entire Bible, teaches us. And it's a lesson that we learn because of a little boy and his little lunch. Now, I don't know if five loaves of bread and two fish was a boy-sized lunch. Sounds like a lot to me. Um, But maybe they weren't like our common loaves. Maybe it wasn't, you know, salmon. Maybe it was sardines. I don't know, right? There's a lot that we don't know about the reality of it, but the reality is is that it's a, it's a story that reminds us that in the hands of God, a little can do a lot. And it was taught by a little boy um, who brought his lunch and was willing to give it in the hands of Jesus. And last week, we talked about our importance um, 
in the family of God to invest, to encourage, to build into our young lives, right? We had our parent dedication, and uh, we all realized that we as a community need to be thinking orange. We need to be thinking of our children, of the next generation, and we need to be building into them. Well, this week, I want to take a twist and actually flip that on its head and have us realize that actually sometimes those little ones are the ones that can teach us a great deal about faith. I want to introduce you this morning to a few young Canadians who are making a big impact in our country and in our world. The first is a girl named Sophia Gran Ruiz. Currently, she's 18 years old, but when she was 10, she wrote a speech on homelessness for her school, and she started to interview people who were living on the streets. This is an experience that profoundly impacted her, so she founded an organization called Snug as a Bug. It's Kids Helping Kids. And she provides care packages for children and youth who are living in shelters. She gets them toys, clothes, school supplies. Just last year, uh, in 2010, she won the Teen Philanthropist Award of Canada. Next, Kyla Mainzinger. She's eight years old. She likes to sew. And she invented what she calls boo-boo bears. I love this. They're little sewed bears. There must be something inside them. But you can heat them up or cool them off, and you put them on your boo-boos. And um, she sells them, gives them to people in need, but she also sells them to support an organization called Kids Cottage, which helps families in crisis. Kyla also grows a garden along with her brother and picks the vegetables and gives them to their local food bank. Eight years old. Darren Cole, 15 years old, he started an organization in his high school called Kids Against Canadian Hunger. And they're going national and trying to encourage local schools to do fundraisers and to raise money in order to um, support financially the food banks of Canada. Lastly, Craig Kielberger. Now, Craig's probably in his 30s now, but when he was 12, when this picture was taken, he founded an organization called Free the Children. He read a newspaper article at 12 years old. Um, I was just reading comics in the paper at 12. But he read uh, 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 a newspaper article about uh, child labor overseas. And uh, it disturbed him so much, he started an organization in his school. And um, it has now developed into an international organization. He speaks around the world on behalf of child labor laws, fighting for the rights of children. um, And it all started with his vision at 12 years old. Amazing kids who are doing amazing things. But it's a lot more than just kids that make the the news and and make the public eye and win awards that we can learn something from. I know there's lots of youth in our own church who this past summer have spent many weeks at a camp. Forest Cliff Camp is one of them. Um, We couldn't have done day camp without the volunteer of our teenagers um, to help out with day camp. But again, it's not just because young people can volunteer and do something. That's not the only way that they teach us. Often it's just in their person. It's in who they are. It's in their perspective of the world. It's in their perspective of faith. They can teach us a lot about faith. And this morning I want to spend a few minutes to look at one of uh, the Old Testament's uh, greatest young heroes. All right? Daniel. He is most famous known for, obviously, the lion's den. Right? Spending some time with some lions and uh, living to tell the tale. Okay? Because the king had passed... Uh, an edict saying, you're not allowed to pray to any other god or person except for me, the king. And if you disobey this commandment, you'll be thrown into the den of lions and be eaten and horrible things will happen to you. 
Well, we all know the story. Daniel defied that law, continued to pray faithfully to God, was thrown in the lion's den, and lived to tell about it because of his great faith and his great faithfulness. Now, contrary to this picture here, which I pulled off the internet, um, the truth is that Daniel was probably about 80 years old when the lions then happened. Not sure if you're aware of that, but he was probably 80 years old when that happened. So I want to rewind the story of Daniel and look at his early years, the younger years of Daniel, where we see him as just a teenage boy. And to do that, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Daniel, and we're in the first chapter, okay? We've got quite a few verses to get through, but um, it's, it's an incredible story, okay? So Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to get some background and hear a little bit about where we see some of the foundations of faith for Daniel. Where does this start, right? Because you all of a sudden just don't turn faithful at 80, right? It's a process of learned faithfulness, of learned journeying with God, of learned trusting with God. So this is one of the earliest experiences that we know of Daniel. Uh, And I'll start, I'll just read the first seven verses to start, make a couple comments, and then we'll keep going. Okay, bear with me here. As I said, there's lots to read and there's lots of weird names, but I'll do my best. You do your best to listen. Okay. Um, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring, in, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food, of wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of the staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. Okay? We'll take a little breather. Because we learn a few things of our, uh, uh, that we need to set a background in this. First is, is Daniel's situation. What situation does Daniel find himself in? Well, number one is Judah, or Israel, is besieged. And he is in exile, carted off to Babylon. Okay? This often happened in, in wartime, all right? There was mention in the scriptures of that Nebuchadnezzar took some of the, the things from the temple of God and moved them to Babylon and put them in the temples of his God. This was often something that kings would do to say, look, we defeated not only you, but we defeated your God. Your God didn't protect you, and we defeated you. We're more powerful even than your God. We took from him as well. Now, notice in the verses, it says, God permitted this. God allowed this. Okay, and if you read more in the story of Daniel, you understand why, Um, but we don't have time to get into that. Okay, another thing that they would do in a time of war is they would take a lot of the young 
upcoming leaders of that nation and try to assimilate them into their own culture, as we see him doing, King Nebuchadnezzar doing with these young men to train them in the ways of Babylon. You know, and they actually had a pretty good life, right? Um, you know, they get uh, steak and wine every night. It's like going to the keg every night. They get free education um, in the ways of Babylon, the most powerful nation in the world at that point. Um, and they get to be trained for royal service. Cush job, right? Like, it's actually not that bad of a situation for Daniel, okay? Um, let's learn a little bit about Daniel's person, okay? We know he was in exile then, all right? He was taken as a captive to Babylon. Um, he was therefore in a world of new experiences, right? Everything would have been new to him, taken from Jerusalem or where he, wherever he lived in Judah and taken to Babylon. would have been a new world for him. He was of royal birth or, or of privileged birth. He was a bright student. He was good-looking. He was strong and he was healthy. And he was a young man. He probably would have been about 15 at this period of his life, okay? Um, So think about this. A 15-year-old boy moving away from mom and dad for the first time, albeit forcibly, okay? Um, He's on a full educational scholarship. He's being fed like a king for a spot in the royal service of the world's most powerful nation. I don't know too many 15-year-olds who would put up too much resistance to the prospect of that. The world's at his fingertips, right? What does Daniel do? Let's read on, just verses 8 to 10. This is what it says. This is Daniel's response. We see and hear his conviction. It says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of the Lord my king who has ordered that you eat his food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Okay? So Daniel refuses. Now, it's interesting to note he refuses the food. A 15-year-old boy (laughs) refuses food, right? Out of all the things maybe he would have put up resistance against, would have fought against, he fought against the food. Well, why? We get an insight to this because Daniel knew that the food that came from the king's table was actually food that was offered as a sacrifice to the gods of Babylon. So these were things given by people to worship and adore and honor false gods. And God had commanded, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. So Daniel, even though he's going into exile, facing this uncertain future in a world of new experiences, surrounded by a bunch of other guys who apparently find no problem with it, bring on the steak, bring on the wine, Daniel says, no, I won't do that because God wouldn't want me to do that. You see, our convictions come from things that we are convinced of. And this is the basis of faith. If you act on your faith, you act upon things that you have become convinced of, right? You think of a jury, right, in a trial. Um, The jury is going to make a conviction because they examine the facts, and they become convinced that someone is guilty or perhaps innocent, and they, they, they sentence based upon that. Well, in a similar way, here's Daniel. He examines all the facts of his new situation, of who, uh, how he's been raised, about the possibilities of his future. And in this moment, he examines all the facts, and he says, God wouldn't want me to do that. So I'm going to put my foot down. I don't know what it'll cost me, but I have to stand on my convictions. I have to stand on my faith. 
Okay? An amazing lesson for a 15-year-old boy with the world at his fingertips, willing to stand up for what he believed and knew God would have wanted for him. What happens? You're all in suspense, I know. So let's keep reading. Uh, Starting at verse 11. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Mm, yummy, Daniel said. That, that mm, yummy was my paraphrase. Um, <laughs> at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. Again, a little pause. We see Daniel acting on his conviction, but we also see that Daniel is not alone in this, all right? He has a community who also is willing to stand with him. These three guys, we know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you know a story of them later in Daniel, they stand up in their own way, don't they, Um, and defy the king and stand up for God. And it's interesting to note that all of them do this because at this young age, in this new situation, probably in a scared, I don't know what's going on, I'm in a new city, you know, there's probably hundreds of these young men taken from from Jerusalem, from Judah, and uh, they're there, and they're like, I wonder if anyone else will say no with me. Anyone? You in? Are you in? Oh, no, you're eating already. You, are you in? (laughs) Daniel finds three other guys, just three, but it's enough to form a community. And we at Village Green talk about the importance of community, Right? Because in community, we make one another stronger. We give each other accountability. You know, um, I bet you there was times when, when those guys were, were eating in those 10 days, you know, everyone else is mound down their sirloin and sipping their Merlot, and um, they get a plate of broccoli, carrots, that they even got dip, I don't know, right? And water, and water, right? Um, I bet you there was a time where at least one of them in those 10 days said, this is ridiculous. Forget it. Waiter, like, you know, uh, medium rare, please, you know. But I'm sure that they stuck together. You know, I I don't know how it worked out. Maybe it was like a cafeteria, but you you sit together, right? You say, okay, this is going to be tough, but we can get through it if we get together on this. And this is what we see Daniel modeling for us at such a young age. He surrounds himself with people who he knows he's going to need in times of temptation and when things get really tough to just say, this isn't worth it. And I think we've all been there in faith, probably. Times where our faith just isn't strong enough on our own. And we just say, this is crazy. What's going on? I'm throwing in a towel. I'm giving up completely. I'm moving the other direction. I'm just throwing it in. And then a brother or sister comes along and says, you know what? We're in this together. We can do it. Let's go. You know, Um, community. Daniel models it for us. Okay. Finishing up, verses 15 through here to the end. What happens at the end of these 10 days? Well, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all of the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So when they entered the royal, so they entered the royal service. 
And whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Okay, again, let's just wrap up with here, with realizing that the life of a 15-year-old boy has already taught us a couple of things. Number one is the importance of conviction in our faith. Number two is the importance of community in our faith. His young life also shows us in these verses how faithful and steady commitment brings about the blessings of God. Okay? Follow me on this. Ten days, piece of cake, right? For ten days, test us, see how it goes. This was Daniel's plan, all right? For ten days, you can do anything, right? Think of your New Year's resolutions. I'm going to jog every day, you know? After ten days, you're like, what am I doing? This is crazy. Done, right? Ten days. Now, I realize some things in life, if you go at something that's been really difficult in your life or has, really has a deep hold on you, 10 days can be an eternity of time, okay? But 10 days is 10 days. We learn from these verses that after the 10 days, they looked healthier. And so what did the king's attendant do? He said, well, you guys are doing so well for the entire time of your training, which earlier in the chapter we learned was three years. I'll feed you only vegetables and water. Ten days, they could do it, right? Three years ahead of them. Everyone else eating the steak, drinking the wine, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, veggies, water. Three years, every day, right? Standing out of the crowd, being different, being the odd four, right? Those guys with the special diet, right? Um, Faith makes you stand out. Faith makes you different. And it can make you not not accepted in certain crowds. It's not always the most popular thing to do. And that's where your commitment must come in. Because your conviction can be something that is strong in a moment. And you can make a stand. But what if that stand, if you're asked to make that stand over and over and over and over again? That's where you need commitment. And Daniel models this for us for three years Him and his buddies eat the vegetables, they drink the water, they carry through with their commitment, and they stay true to God. And God rewards them. Now, follow me on this, because the reward might seem a little weird. Number one is they excelled at their schooling. Yay! (laughs) All right? And just an aside for anybody who's in school right now, doesn't guarantee you're going to get straight A's, all right? You still got to work for that, even when you're living in faith, okay? Um, Wish there was some way to guarantee straight A's, but hard work, study. Um, But this is the reality. God will bless you. Now, the verses also mention that Daniel was blessed with the ability to interpret dreams and visions, all right? And I'm sure maybe at the moment, Daniel was a little bit like, gee, (laughs) thanks, you know? Um, How is this going to really help me? You know, I could think of a few other things that I wish God would bless me with that I could kind of use more right now, I think. But this is what God blessed him with. And, you know, the reality is, is if you read through the rest of Daniel, you know that this um, special ability, this gift that God gave to him was essential in his life. It helped him actually bring the reality of God before the leadership of Babylon on a number of occasions. Um, It was an incredible gift. It was the right gift to give. And I just want to say this because sometimes 
we can all say, oh yeah, God's good, he rewards our faithfulness. But then we kind of say, but I want him to reward me in a certain way. This is what I want God to give me. And sometimes God gives that to us, but sometimes he doesn't. But the reality is, is that we need to look for the blessings that God is giving us and trust him that he has our best intentions in mind. He has our best future in mind. So here's, here's the story of Daniel, the younger years. I don't know if that's a familiar piece of, uh, of history for you f- from the book of Daniel. But I just want to recap really quickly the three things that this 15-year-old boy teaches us and in, in an applicational way. Okay, Maybe we can apply these to our lives in this way. One is this. We need to base our decisions of faith upon conviction, not circumstance in life. You know, in the world, we can justify just about anything, right? We need to let faith determine our actions. Could Daniel have been mad at God? They came in, besieged his city, his nation, carried him off captive. They stole from from God's own chambers. Why would God allow that to happen? Could Daniel have chosen to be mad at God for the situation in life he found himself in? Sure. Could Daniel have drawn the conclusion that God just didn't care about him or about Israel? I mean, after all, they walked in and they took things from God's own temple. He didn't even stand up for himself. God must not care. How many times have we said that? Daniel could have said that too. Daniel's circumstance wasn't the best, but he acted on his faith. He trusted God to be faithful and good and trustworthy of his devotion, of his obedience. No matter what the cost, no matter what his life situation was, he lived for his convictions of God. That's a big lesson to learn from a 15-year-old boy. Secondly, Standing for truth will not make you accepted by humanity, but acceptable to God. There's always going to be a cost to faith. There's always going to be a cost to living differently. It doesn't make you the most popular kid in your school. It won't necessarily make you the, the most friends in your workplace, okay? When you stand for God's truth. Because you'll stand out. It won't win you popularity contests. But I think that we as Christians must count the cost and be willing to count that cost for Jesus in a world where that doesn't meet with the economy. Daniel's life models someone who counted the cost and was willing to stand up for it and pay the price. Thirdly, as I was just saying, we need to embrace the blessings that God gives us and remain faithful. Might not be the reward you're looking for, But sometimes we just need to accept where we're at in life instead of always looking and asking God, why don't I have this? Why can't you bless me in this way? If you do that, you sometimes miss out on what you do have. And I've learned that from experience. And it's a tough thing to do. Daniel's life models this conviction for us, right from age of 15 through to the lion's den at age 80, right? Because in this, the blessings of God, we realize that our faith is a faith, it's a journey. It's not a one-day thing, right? It's lived day to day, but, but it's a process. And we need to learn to receive and, and praise God for the blessings that he gives us each day, each week, each month, each year. And just keep carrying on. Be faithful. Be thankful and be faithful to God. So a 15-year-old boy teaches us that the little can do a lot. Sometimes... These little people teach us and model for us what faith should look like. 
My big question at the end of all this is, are we willing to learn from these little ones? Are we really willing to learn? As I close, here's a few really quick suggestions that might help us in this. One, we need to invest in our little ones. You get out of something only what you put into something. So let's invest in our young lives, invest our time, our resources, our interest in their lives. One of the visions that I know that we have uh, here at Village Green is to develop future leaders. Let's invest in our little ones. Let's let them lead us. Which leads me to point number two. Give them a chance to lead. Put them in a position. Give them an opportunity to do something. They may not always do things the way that we would have done them. They may not see things the way that we would see them. But you just might be surprised with what they come up with when you give them an opportunity. Thirdly, let them fail. Failure is a part of learning. It's a part of developing faith. It's a part of growing. We can't always expect young people to get it right every time. Just like you can't expect adults to get it right every time. Mistakes get made by everyone. And our expectations of our young people and of our little ones shouldn't be that they're never going to mess up. It shouldn't be that we expect perfection out of them. We just expect progress. Fourthly, we need to love them. Pray for them. Love the uniqueness that God has given to each and every one of them. You know, the, the thing about that kid that might drive you absolutely nuts might be the very thing that God has specifically gifted that kid for, for use in his kingdom. I wonder how annoying it was for Daniel to wake up in the morning and tell people what their dreams meant, right? But it might just be that one quirky, odd, crazy little thing that might just drive you nuts. Oh, yeah. But God might have that one thing specifically placed in that kid to do miraculous things in the kingdom of God. We need to love kids in the uniqueness God has given them. They have to find their own faith. They can't live ours. They can't live yours. They can't live mine. So let's just love them. Let's pray for who they are and pray for who they're becoming. And then lastly, we need to listen to them, right? Amidst all the fast talking, the text messaging, right? The confusing slang. What did you just say? Amidst all that, our little ones have a voice. They have a voice. And it's a voice worth listening to. It's a voice that will teach us things and surprise us with things. And trust me, I did, I did about 10 years of youth ministry. There's a lot, a lot more going on in the head of our little ones and in their hearts than we ever give them credit for if we would just stop and listen to them. We even need to ask their opinion on some things and maybe even their advice. We might need to be willing to do that. All right, I really am closing now. All right, but young people, if you consider yourself a little one, okay, I have one reminder and one verse for you as we wrap up this series. My reminder is this. You need to know that you do teach us things. And we thank you for that. But just because you teach us things doesn't mean that you know everything. Okay? I'm presuming that laughter means thank you for saying that. Okay. And I want you to look around in this community because there's lots of people more experienced than you who can help you and teach you, and shape you. Don't neglect that resource, okay? 
don't let other people look down on you because you're young, but also don't let your youth become an excuse to just do your own thing. Okay? Here's your verse. Uh, It comes from the book of Timothy. um, And Timothy was a, a young man who Paul trained in ministry. He probably would have been in his late teens uh, or so. And these are the words that the Apostle Paul has for him. And it's the words I leave you with today. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Rather, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Please, be an example to us of faith. We need you. Okay? We value you. The choice is yours, though, to do that. Nobody else's. As I said, don't let people look down on you because you're young, but don't let your youth become an excuse to not step up and serve God in the way he's gifted you. Because you can change the world. You can change the world. To the rest of us, let me leave you with this reminder and with a verse. A reminder, I think we need to um, pray for our young people, our next generation. Every day we need to pray. Um, To go into their schools, high school, to go off to college. Um, It's tough. It's like being in exile sometimes, right? The temptations are numerous. A lot of things bash up against your faith, want to challenge your convictions. We need to pray for our little ones. Each and every day. Maybe take that mentality I recommended last week and, and adopt, at least as a prayer partner. Just pick one mentally and just say, I'm going to, one or two, you know, and say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray faithfully for those little ones. That's my reminder. Um, my verse for you is this. It's found in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. It says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Now, the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrew people. Um, And this verse is to say, look at your history. Look at the leaders of your past. And one of those leaders of Israel's history is Daniel. Yes, an 80-year-old Daniel who faced the lion's den, but also a 15-year-old Daniel who stood up for his faith at such a young age. Sometimes our leaders are 15 years old. Sometimes our leaders are little ones. Because the little can do a lot for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you so much for our little ones. I thank you, Lord God, that you are um, so faithfully and lovingly teaching and guiding each and every one of us. And so I pray for patience and grace and understanding for all of us. Because you know what? The truth about all this is that according to your word, we're all children. We're your children. And um, I pray that you'd continue to challenge us towards growth, towards love and action and good deeds, towards stronger faith, towards greater impact in our world for the sake of your kingdom. But I thank you this morning specifically for our young lives, who sometimes admittedly we overlook, but such a valuable resource in your kingdom. Little lives, little, little lives that you want to use to teach us so much. I pray that you would humble us and uh, give us opportunity to see everything that they have to offer, to get behind them and to support them and to love them. And I just want to pause right now and think of uh, the fact that another school year is about to begin. 
Some are even heading off for college or university really soon, heading back into that school environment. Lord God, we know that you go with us. You walk with us in faith. And I pray that your presence would be with these young people as they head off to school again for another year. May this year be a year where barriers are broken down and lives are changed for the kingdom of God because the little ones stood up for you, shared their voice, shared their faith, and made a difference and changed the world with their faith. We love you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.